Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 44 through 48. Now this is the conclusion to the third scene of the larger narrative, which has been our focus for the past several weeks. The larger narrative tells the story of God prompting the apostles to take the gospel to the Gentiles as Gentiles. That is to proclaim to the Gentiles the hope of salvation in Christ without requiring them to become Jews or submit to the Jewish ceremonial laws. In the opening scene of this, we saw how God sent an angel to the Roman centurion named Cornelius to instruct him to send for Peter, who was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. In the second scene, we saw how God gave Peter a vision of a large sheep let down from heaven and filled with all manner of unclean animals. God then commanded Peter to kill and eat, something that Peter was unwilling to do. But each time Peter refused, God said to him, Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. It was at this point that Cornelius' servants showed up, and God told Peter to go with them, which he did. And in the third scene, which we began to look at last week, Peter proclaims the gospel to Cornelius and his family and friends who were gathered with him, saying, I now know that God shows no partiality. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And this is where we're picking up the story this morning. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Would you pray with me? O oh God, who teaches the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right understanding of your saving truth. Visit, we ask, visit this congregation with your love and favor Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Graft in our hearts a love of truth. Increase in us true religion. And nourish us with all goodness and mercy. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Acts 10 verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me. Welcome, welcome. Come on up. So a few years ago, before most of you were born... There was a, a woman who had her own TV show. It was called a talk show, and you guys probably would have thought it was fairly boring. Uh, a lot of people, though, would wait in really long lines to get to go in to the audience 
uh, kind of like this, and just kind of sit there and watch this show being recorded. Uh, basically, the show was this, this lady would bring famous people out, like actors and actresses, and they would talk about their work, or, or sometimes her guest would be sort of an ordinary person who had an interesting story. Uh, and they would just sit, and they would talk about that. But every once in a while, the lady who hosted the show, who herself was pretty famous, she would have a special episode. She would tell people about all of her favorite things, like her favorite pajamas, or her favorite bread maker, or her favorite perfume or makeup, or her favorite food, or her favorite headphones. But here's the thing. Sometimes when she finished telling everybody in the audience about her favorite thing, then she would tell everybody in the audience that they were going to get that thing as a gift. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what they said. Uh, so everybody in the audience was going to get one just for being there, being in the audience. Like if her favorite thing was a sucker, she would say, I've got suckers for all of you. You get a sucker, and you get a sucker, and you get a sucker, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. No thanks. Well, I'm you good. can give it to somebody else. Yeah, not many people would turn that down in the show. You get a sucker, and you get a sucker, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and Isaac, you're a little old for this, but you get one because you're here. So, now, of course, she, she didn't give those gifts, her favorite things. Oh, wait, here, you showed up. Dude, you get one. You're a little late to the party, but there you go. Now, she didn't give those gifts to the people who were not there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you get one too, buddy. I, I hear those tears. You, you couldn't just show up late. Like, you couldn't just not be there and expect to get the gift, right? You had to be there. But everyone in the audience that day got her favorite things. Now, do you understand that Jesus has a favorite thing, too? Uh, his favorite is living in perfect relationship, perfect closeness with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has enjoyed that relationship since before the earth was created. And it was actually that close relationship that gave Jesus power to live such a beautiful, good life of loving others. And it's actually very important to Jesus that all of his people experience and enjoy that same relationship, that we would be strong to live a loving life as well. And that's actually what we just saw in the story with Cornelius, that we read about the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius and his family and his friends. When they believed in Jesus as the one who died for our forgiveness, but then who was raised up to be our king, Jesus gave them the same Holy Spirit who had fallen on the disciples earlier. As people who are now connected to Jesus by faith, it's like Jesus was saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and you the Holy Spirit, and you and you and you and you and you and you, and all of them. 
Everyone who believes in me, Jesus was saying, everyone who believes in me gets the Holy Spirit. Because it's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus connects us to himself and connects us to God the Father. And it's through that Spirit that Jesus gives his people power to live a life of loving other people, even when it's hard. Now, of course, the only way to get the Spirit is to, to believe in Jesus. That's exactly right. You can't get the Spirit apart from Jesus because they always go together. But even today, guys, even today, whenever someone believes in Jesus, no matter if they're Jewish or not, or young or old, or girl or boy, or brown skin or light skin, whenever someone believes in Jesus, Jesus always gives them his Holy Spirit so that we are connected forever into the love of God, so that we are able to live in love toward God and toward other people, too. And Jesus does that because it's his favorite. And because you and I can enjoy life with God and live by the power of his Holy Spirit simply by trusting in Jesus. That's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. All right. If you haven't done so already, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. As Sam was saying, this is the conclusion uh, to the third scene of the larger narrative that we have been uh, looking at for the past several weeks. The, the narrative that tells the story of God prompting the apostles to, to take the gospel to Gentiles as Gentiles. To, to proclaim to them the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ without requiring them to become Jews or to submit to the Jewish ceremonial law. And here in this third scene, we, we see Peter proclaiming that gospel, the, the gospel of God's impartiality. We, we see him proclaiming that gospel to those who had gathered at Cornelius's house. And it is in the midst of his sermon that we pick up the story this morning. Notice again what Luke says. Luke writes that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now at first glance, that's a, a curious way of, of saying it because it's interesting that Luke doesn't say anything about the faith of those who were baptized with the Spirit. He, he doesn't say anything about them believing the gospel. He simply says that the Spirit fell on those who heard the word. However, I want you to see that it would be wrong for us to conclude that those who were listening there that day, that they received the Spirit without believing. That's not at all what Luke is saying. We, we know that those who heard the gospel believed the gospel, and in believing the gospel they received the Spirit. We, we know this because of the, the context. Look first at the last sentence of the previous paragraph. Even as Peter was proclaiming the gospel of God's impartiality, what did he say? He said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
And so Peter himself has already declared the essential significance of believing in him, of of faith in Jesus Christ. It is through faith in him that someone receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so, so Peter has already declared that faith is essential. And we see the same thing when we look to the very end of the narrative, which which ends in the the middle of chapter 11. Look at verse 18 of chapter 11. Here at the the conclusion of the entire narrative, what do we see? We, We see that the believers in Jerusalem come to the conclusion that God has, excuse me, that God has granted even to the Gentiles repentance unto life. In other words, when they hear that the Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles, what is their conclusion? What do they know to be true? When they see that the Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles, they know that God has granted to them repentance unto life, which is the the other side of the coin from faith. Faith is looking to God for salvation. Repentance is turning from your sin to look to God. And so to say that they have been granted repentance unto life is to say that they have been granted faith. Faith and repentance cannot be separated from one another. And so here the, the, Jew, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem know that the Gentiles have believed the gospel because they have been baptized with the Spirit. The, the pouring out of the Spirit is the proof or the demonstration of the validity of their faith. And actually, this is the conclusion that Peter himself draws, even in this portion of the text that we're looking at this morning. Look again at at verse 47. What does Peter say? Seeing that the Spirit has been poured out on those who are are listening to him, seeing that the Spirit has been poured out on the the Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house, what does he say? He says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I recognize that in the church today and really in the the church throughout uh, all generations, there's been some disagreement about who exactly is supposed to be baptized. You know, here at Trinity, we, we baptize, uh, we, we practice what is known as covenant baptism, which means that, that we baptize the children of believers. There are others who believe that a person should only be baptized when they make a personal profession of faith. We call that believer's baptism. So there's, there's covenant baptism and there's believer's baptism. But, but what they both agree on, whether you, whether you hold to covenant baptism or whether you hold to believer's baptism, what, what both groups agree on is that when someone makes a profession of faith who didn't grow up in the church, who didn't, wasn't raised uh, under Christian parents, when that person makes a profession of faith for the first time, when a first-generation Christian makes a profession of faith, they are baptized upon that profession of faith. You see, that's the, the sort of baptisms that we see throughout the, the book of Acts. It's, it's why Christians can disagree about who's supposed to be baptized, because all the baptisms that we see in the book of Acts are first-generation baptisms. And so it's always upon profession of faith, but that's the point. That here Peter says that, that Cornelius and his household should be baptized. Why? Because they have heard and believed the gospel. Peter sees the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a, as a validation of the fact that they have received the gospel with Faith. And therefore, it would be wrong for us to think that these Gentiles were baptized with the Spirit apart from believing in Jesus' name. Luke doesn't mention it explicitly in verse 44 because there was no time for them to publicly profess that faith. But God, knowing their hearts, knowing that they had heard and believed the gospel, God baptizes them with the Spirit as a demonstration of the fact that they had 
believed the gospel. When they heard the word, they believed. And having believed, the Spirit fell on them just as it had on the first disciples on the day of Pentecost. And see, that's really the point. That's the point. The reason that the outpouring of the Spirit demonstrates the validity of their faith is because this is the gift that God gives to all who believe. Since the day of Pentecost, when God first baptized his church with the Spirit, from that day forward, the the outpouring of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, is the gift that God gives to all who believe the gospel when they believe the gospel. The reason that the outpouring of the Spirit can can demonstrate the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church as as full members, not as second-tier members, not not as as somehow um, below their Jewish brothers, but the reason that the outpouring of the Spirit can demonstrate that these Gentiles have been included in the church as full members of the church on equal footing with their Jewish brothers and sisters is because Spirit baptism is the gift that God gives to all who have been engrafted into to his church through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the, the point that I want to focus on this morning. I want us to focus on the reality that spirit baptism, the, the outpouring of the Spirit, the falling of the Spirit upon those who, who hear and believe the gospel, that that is not a, a second blessing that is received by some sometime after they believe. But rather, this outpouring of the Spirit serves to to demonstrate that the Gentiles have been grafted into the church because this is an essential mark of those who have been engrafted into the church. This is an essential mark of those who have heard and believed the gospel. Baptism with the Spirit is not a second blessing. It is the initial blessing given to all who believe. Spirit baptism is a defining mark of a true Believer. It's why it serves to, to validate the, the Gentiles' faith here. It's why the, the Jewish Christians can say, oh, if they've been baptized with the Spirit, they must have believed. If they've been baptized with the Spirit, they must have been granted repentance unto life. But of course, that has profound implications for us today. Because what does this mean? <laughs> It means that if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are here today and you are a believer, if you have heard and, and, and believed the gospel, if you have received and rested upon Jesus Christ for your salvation, it means that you have been baptized with the Spirit. It means that you have been filled. It means that the Spirit is your gift. There is no Christian who has not received the Spirit. And so I want us to, to think about that, and I want us to think about the significance of that this morning by, by uh, unpacking three questions. First, I want us just to ask, what is this baptism with the Spirit that we're talking about? What does it actually mean uh, to have the Spirit poured out on us? Second, I want us to ask what the sign of this Spirit baptism is. How do we know that it's actually happened? And third, I want us to ask, what is the purpose of this Spirit baptism? Why is this the gift that Jesus gives to his disciples. So first, what is spirit baptism? That's, that's where we have to begin. What is, this, what is this pouring out of the spirit? What does it mean to be baptized with the spirit? And I think if we're going to get at the answer to that question, we have to go back to the first story that this story is echoing. 
The reason that, that the pouring out of the Spirit is, is such a profound surprise to the Jewish Christians is, is because this is what had happened to them on the day of Pentecost. And now they see that the same thing is happening to the Gentile Christians. It's what Peter says. He says, listen, they, they've received the Spirit just as we have. And so that initial receiving of the Spirit took place at Pentecost. And so turn with me to Acts chapter 2 where that event is recorded for us. In Acts chapter 2, the, the Christians are, are gathered together. And what are we told? Look at verse 4. Luke tells us that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the central event. That is what Pentecost is, is all about. It was on the day of Pentecost that Jesus poured out his Spirit upon his disciples. That he baptized his church with the Holy Spirit of God. And this is exactly what he had told them he was going to do. In fact, remember, he had told them to wait in Jerusalem until this happened. He, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received uh, the, the promise of the Father, which was the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit that John the Baptist had foretold. And that's what's going on here at Pentecost. But to, but to understand exactly what that means, to, to understand exactly what the significance of this outpouring of the Spirit is, we have to go back even further. We, we have to ask, well, okay, what was the Spirit doing before this? What was the Spirit doing even before Pentecost? Sometimes we, we think that maybe the Spirit was just entirely dormant before the day of Pentecost, that, that He wasn't really activated until then, but that's, that's not true. We actually see the, the Spirit at work on the very first pages of Scripture there at creation. He's, he's hovering over the deep. But we know that the Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. First of all, we, we know that prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was calling people to repentance and faith. We know this because there were people who repented and believed. And no one repents and believes apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if there were believers in the Old Testament, and there were, there were those who, who believed the promises of God and were justified. Think of, of Abraham and all who walked in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. If there were believers in the Old Testament, and there were, then we know that they had been effectually called by the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can call a sinner out of death into life. So we know that the, the Spirit was calling people to repentance and faith. We, we also know that prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sanctifying believers. And again, we, we know this for the same reason. We know that, that the Holy Spirit was sanctifying believers because no one was ever sanctified apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. No one ever grew in grace. No one ever grew in holiness apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And so again, if there were believers who were sanctified in the Old, Old Testament, and there were... There were those who, who grew up in holiness. Then we know that the Holy Spirit was at work in the Old Testament sanctifying believers. And third, we, we also know that the Holy Spirit was empowering and gifting people for the work of ministry. We know that, that he was gifting people to, to do those special works that God had prepared for them to do. We, we know this because we're told it explicitly. We're told of, of certain people who were uh, baptized with the Spirit, who had the, the Spirit poured out on them, that they might do those works that had been prepared for them to do. Think of the judges filled with the Spirit to, to do the work they had been given to do. Think of the, the prophets filled with the Spirit to do the work that they had been given to do. Think of the, the kings. We, we read of, of people in the Old Testament who were empowered by the Spirit 
to do those works that God had prepared in advance for them to do. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was was calling people to repentance. We we see that he was sanctifying them in holiness, and we see that he was empowering them to do the work. So what changed at Pentecost? Well, what changed at Pentecost is that in the Old Testament, it was only a few who were empowered with God's special grace to do the works that God had prepared for them to do. The, the, the judges and the, and the prophets and the kings were, were all baptized with the Spirit to do this work, but, but not everybody was a prophet. Not everybody was, was a judge. Not everybody was a, was a king. Only, only some of God's people were baptized with the Spirit in this way. But at Pentecost, that all changed. At Pentecost, Jesus poured out his empowering, equipping a spirit, not on some, but on all. All those who believed in Jesus Christ were baptized. The the anointing of the Spirit was no longer limited to a select few. After Pentecost, that anointing was for everyone. It's exactly what Peter says when he stands up to explain what is is happening there on that day of Pentecost. If you scan down the page to to verse 16, you'll you'll see that, that that Peter points them to what Joel the prophet had uttered. That in the last days, all children will become prophets. That the, that the special empowering of the Spirit will be for all young and old, men and women, slave and, and free. The distinctions will not matter. The gifting of the Spirit will be for all. You see, the 12 apostles, they had been specifically chosen and, and uh, authorized by Christ himself to be the foundation upon which the church would be built, with Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Those apostles were were called and authorized by Christ himself to deliver the faith once for all to the saints. But the apostles were not the only ones called to do the work of ministry. They were called to a special work, a, a foundational work. But they were not the only ones called to work. The work of making and equipping mature disciples of Jesus Christ, that work belongs to the whole body. That work belongs to every member of the body. Every believer is called to do the work of ministry. Every believer is called to do the work of of building up their, their brothers and sisters towards maturity in Christ. And because every believer has been called to this work, Every believer has been equipped for this work. Every believer has been filled with the Spirit that they might do this work well to the praise of the glory of God and the good of their neighbor. At Pentecost, every believer was baptized with the Holy Spirit for this work because this is the work that they had been given to do. That's what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost is is all about every member of the church being filled with the Spirit. When when we make uh, uh, the the pouring out of the Spirit, we make the baptism of the Spirit a second blessing reserved only for a few, we're not actually being Pentecostal. It It is Pentecostal to say, no, we believe that this gift is for every member of the church. This gift is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ because every member has been called to this work and every member has been equipped for this work. And think about what that means for you. 
What, what does that mean for, for you as a member of the church? It means that you are called to participate in this work. It means that you can engage in this work. That means, yes, you have the, the, the ability to confess Christ as the reason for your hope before your, your neighbors. You, you've probably at some point been in a conversation where, where you felt ill-equipped to confess Christ. You, you felt ill-equipped to find the right words. You, you were talking to someone who was skeptical. You were talking to someone who was, who was resistant, and, and you just didn't know how to put it. You didn't know what words to say. I, I've been there. I, I was there this week. I was having a conversation just this week with, with someone who was, who was questioning the faith and, and someone who was resistant to the gospel, and, and I felt ill-equipped to, to put it in just the right words to persuade them. And the truth is, I can't. I can't. But the Spirit can work through me as I confess Christ as the reason for my hope. As I speak the truth in love, the Spirit can work to draw people to himself. And he can work through you too. He can work through your words too as you share the good news of, of hope in Christ with, with a loved one, with, with a co-worker, with a, with a neighbor. This is the power of the Spirit that is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. But of course, it's not just for sharing the gospel. It's also for, for building up those who already believe the gospel. In fact, this is the work you will do more often. You will more often engage with those who already believe the gospel because this is your community. And as you speak to the members of your family, as you, as you speak to, to, to the members of this church who, who already believe the gospel, you still have an obligation to confess Christ as the reason for your hope. And you still have an obligation to encourage and to, and to build them up. Just this morning, we were honoring the, the, the many people who have, who have taught in our various classes. And that's a, a beautiful and, and grand way to confess Christ as the reason for your hope. But of course, you understand that that's only one way to confess Christ as the reason for your hope. Not everyone will, will teach a class. Not everyone's comfortable in that environment. But every one of us has the ability to, to, to build one another up, to, to speak the truth into one another's lives so that we are encouraged and sustained and enabled more and more to walk in the way that becomes a follower of Christ. You may not teach a classroom, but you're going to have a conversation in the foyer after this, after this service. You, you may not teach a class, but, but you're going to have coffee with one of your friends. You may not teach a class, but you're going to meet someone at the grocery store. And throughout all of life, you have the ability in the power of the Spirit to speak the truth in love, to encourage, to edify, to, to build up, or even to call those who do not yet know Christ towards faith in Him. This is what Pentecost is all about. It is about the members of Christ's church being empowered, being gifted to do the work of ministry, that, that word ministry that builds people up towards maturity in Christ. You are part of the body, and the body grows as each member does its part, and that's why each member has been gifted by the Spirit. Not, we're not all gifted in the same way, but we've all been gifted to speak the truth and love into one another's lives that we all together might grow up towards maturity. But of course, this, this brings us to our second question. I'm saying that we've, we've all been baptized with the Spirit. We've all been, had the Spirit poured out on us. We've all been, been filled. But, but how do we know? Here, the, the sign is kind of obvious, just as it was kind of obvious in, in chapter 2. Here, the, the clear sign that they have been baptized with the Spirit is that they are speaking in tongues. Look again, he says, The Jews are amazed that the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Why? 
because they, they saw them speaking in tongues. They, they, they heard them extolling God in these other languages. And, and when they heard that, when they saw that, they knew that they had been baptized with the Spirit. It's the same thing that, that happened uh, on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the crowds that were gathered saw the disciples proclaiming the glory of God in these unknown languages, that, that, that were, these languages unknown to them. And suddenly they realized that, that the Spirit had been poured out on these people. And so the question is, how do we know that we have received the Spirit if that hasn't happened to us? Right, but to get there, let's, let's first ask, why was tongues the sign here? Why was tongues the sign here? And it, it actually makes sense. You know, signs are just that. They are, they are signs. They, they usually point to the reality being prophesied. And what is the reality being prophesied here? The reality being prophesied here is that the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles has been torn down. That the, the, that the separation between the Jews and Gentiles has been abolished because now the, the substance has come in Christ. And so that division between the nations that was originally imposed at, at Babel when God confused their languages and, and sent them off into their own groups, that has now been reversed. That separation has been undone. And the speaking in tongues is actually a picture of the new unity of all nations in Christ. And so it makes perfect sense that, that, that tongues was the sign here when the impartiality of God and the reception of all nations was being proclaimed, just as it was on the day of Pentecost. It's the same with Jesus' miracles throughout his ministry, right? They weren't just random displays of power. They were signs. Jesus was proclaiming the presence of the kingdom. And so what did he do? He healed and he cast out demons because there is no sickness. There is, there is no illness. There is no lameness in the kingdom of God. All things are healthy and demons have no power. They are cast out into the outer darkness. And so Jesus' signs pointed to the reality that he was proclaiming. And it's the same thing here. The tongues pointed to the reality of the inclusion of the Gentiles as full members of the church. But we have to understand that, that tongues being the sign here and in Acts chapter 2 doesn't mean that tongues is always the sign of spirit baptism. If this was the only passage that you had, or this in, in chapter 2, then, then maybe you could draw that conclusion. But actually, just the whole book of Acts tell, works against that conclusion. Because tongues is not always the sign of spirit baptism in the book of Acts. And the rest of the New Testament actually makes it explicit that tongues will not always be the sign of spirit baptism. Paul makes it perfectly clear that, that God gives gifts as he will to whom he will. There is no one gift that he gives to all believers as evidence that they have been baptized with the Spirit, but rather God gives gifts as he will, according to his discretion for the works that he has prepared for the members of his body to do. Not every member of the body is the same. If it was, you wouldn't have a body. The, the nose can't be a hand and the hand can't be an ear. God has different members of the body and they are gifted differently for the particular works that they have been given to do. They're, they're all called to the work of ministry. They're all called to, to building one another up towards maturity in Christ. But they play different roles in that work. And because they play different roles in that work, because one teaches a class and, and one sends an encouraging note, because they play different roles, they are gifted differently. There is not one sign that is the sign of spirit baptism but rather it is this this general gifting and even there paul says it and it's not even the gifts that are the are the definitive mark of being filled with the spirit what is the most excellent manifestation of the spirit 
It's no particular gift. It's Christian love. It is that, that, that foundational love that allows us to use our gifts in the good of our neighbor. That is the defining mark of a Christian. It's just what Jesus said. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Christian love is the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit being brought forth in our lives that is the proof that we have been filled, that we have been baptized, that we have been sealed with the Spirit. And so tongues is not the essential mark, but rather it is this Christian love that allows us to use any and every gift in the service of our neighbor to the glory of God by building up the church. That is the sign of the Spirit. And of course, that leads us to the final question. If this spirit uh, sealing has, has happened to all of us, if all of us have been baptized, if all of us have, have received the spirit, why? Well, we've already said it, have we not? Why does God give the spirit? He gives the spirit so that we might be equipped for the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Love is the mark. Love is the defining mark because whatever gift you have, you are to use it in love to serve your neighbor. Your gift is not to be hoarded or, or cherished to, to, to grand get glory for yourself, but you have been gifted that you might serve others. You've been gifted that you might build others up. Again, we're, we're all gifted in different ways. We, 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 we have different abilities and, and different um, passions and, and different opportunities. But we all serve the good of our neighbor. We all build one another up towards maturity in Christ. And when each member is doing its part, the body grows together. That's the wonder and the glory of Pentecost. That's what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost is about every member of the church being equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do the works of ministry that have been prepared for them to do, so that together, when each member of the church is doing its part, the whole may grow up towards maturity in him. Because that's what we've been saved for. We have been forgiven that we might be reconciled to the Father and recommissioned to service in his kingdom. And God not only calls us to such glorious work, he equips us for such glorious work by pouring out the Spirit on all who believe. And because all who believe are called and to equipped to service in his kingdom, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you now, humbly acknowledging the, the wonder of the gift that you have given to your church. Humbly acknowledging, Father, that the, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in all who believe. Father God, I, I pray that each one here who, who has received and rested upon Jesus Christ for their salvation, Father, that they would know that the Spirit is in them, that they might with bold humility do those good works that you have prepared for them to do, Father. May we be a people marked by love who serve one another with our gifts, building one another up towards maturity in Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.